0: Coming up, a Sad Styles production. Get into it. He's the one that will help you bet. Then for the game, you'll be all set. Even though he may help you choose, remember you still may lose. What's up, losers, and welcome to Losing Money with Andrew Bascom. My name is Andrew Bascom, and for 116 episodes, we've helped you lose money on everything. It's a sports gambling podcast where we lose as many bets as possible in about 20-ish minutes. On this episode, we will be discussing our favorite ways to lose money on UFC 274. Yes, yes, UFC, more UFC bets. And you know why? Because it's one of the sports where we actually make money. So that's, that's why. I wish it was more complicated than that. Nope, we make money on it, so we're betting on it. You're welcome. And of course, a recap and record check at the end of the show. All bets this week and the whole episode will be devoted to our favorite bets for UFC 274. Let's do it. Let's get to UFC 274. UFC 274. Yes, UFC 274 goes off this Saturday, May 7th, in beautiful Phoenix, Arizona. Beautiful. So much culture in this town. Actually, it, it, the UFC coming into town only aids to its culture of people punching each other in the head. So this is only, like, very commonplace there. People are going to accept it. It's going to be good. But it's also a very good card. But we often talk about this, some, of the, some of the cards that come out, and it's usually, like, you know, stuffed at the top with, you know, showy fights or flashy fights or anytime the that Jorge Masvidal fights or, you know, there was like, it's just more talk than actual substance in the actual fight. This is one of those cards where you're like, oh, wait, up and down, this is a really good card. You know, between Oliver and Gaethje, which just seriously might be one of the best fights you're going to see this year, Esparza, Noman Junis, like that, that's an incredible fight, and even going all the way to Ferguson, Michael Chandler. Like, those are three really, really good fights to headline this card. And even though it'll be one of the ones where, like, oh, you know, the pay-per-view sales weren't that good, it's like, well, people don't know what's good or not. (laughs) Like, people are very bad judges of what's good. Because this will be the card that something great will happen, and they go, oh, I got to remember that next time. Rose is really good, or, you know, Gaethje's got an incredible right hand, and they'll remember that for next time. But you could be the cool one that's inside, and hopefully losing money on this card. So let's get to it. Let's start at the top. Let's start at the headliner. Let's start at the lightweight championship of the world. Charles DuBronx Oliveira versus Justin Gaethje. Right now we have Oliveira running off at a minus 175 and Gaethje at plus 145. The thing is, Oliveira is just one of the most incredible stories in this whole thing. He's an incredible talent and he's been a fun champion. It's been a wonderful journey to watch him like transform from a fighter who couldn't fight through adversity to one that has thrived on doing so. You know, I used to knock him on that front endlessly. He lost inside the distance four times in a span of six fights from 2015 to 2017. And it's tough to believe that he could have ever changed. Since that point, Oliveira has won 10 consecutive fights and is seemingly improving inside of that streak. Not only is Oliveira a world-class submission grappler, he's an awesome wrestler. He's landed 2.5 takedowns per 15 minutes, and he's really grown in that area of the game. He's also become a dangerous striker. He lands 3.44 significant strikes per minute while absorbing only 3.13. My main concern here is that Oliveira has pushed through adversity recently, and he still does face a ton of it. Like, let's just talk about the last couple of fights. He was definitely hurt by Michael Chandler in the early portion of that fight. And he was honestly getting beaten up by Dustin Poirier in the first round of that fight, too. And Poirier even knocked him down in the first round. It just wouldn't be as surprising to see other fighters have success against Oliveira in a boxing range, right? It wouldn't be shocking to see the other fighters hurt Oliveira. He's more likely to survive these exchanges now he, more now than he used to be. But he's liable to get knocked out at some point in the future again. Then again, I'm also making a point that if you heard me last week, I hate this argument. I hate when I was talking about Tyson Fury. You're always th- it's fighting. Yes, the argument on the other side is always, well, he could get knocked out. Well, yeah, of course he could get. Yeah, that's that's one of the options that could always happen. The problem is Oliveira more than other people walks himself into situations to allow himself to get knocked out. His next challenger, Justin Gaethje, is one of the most damaging strikers the sport has literally ever seen. Like, li- there's no lie there. Gaethje is known for going to war with almost every single opponent, and that's where he thrives. I, you know, stupidly, I'm one of the people that thought. That Gaethje might have a shot against Khabib when he they fought uh, for the lightweight belt in the what 2020. That loss to Khabib is is the biggest hesitation when I try and make my case for Justin Gaethje in my head to beat Oliveira on Saturday. Gaethje comes from a Division One wrestling background, so in theory he should be able to defend takedowns. Officially, he's defended takedowns at 73. percent His first level takedown defense seems adequate, and it's possible he can defend the first attempt when Oliveira throws at him. The problem is that when Gaethje gets taken down by Khabib, he looks completely lost, completely out of his element, he let Khabib mount him instantly, and he wasn't a fight defensively at all, and so the Khabib submitted him, like, incredibly easily now, I don't think that case of, like, incredible dominance of Khabib is a skill either, Conor McGregor fought Khabib, much tougher on the mat I don't think that was a case of Khabib just being dominant either, by the way, Conor McGregor not known for his wrestling, not known for his submissions, was much tougher on the mat And as an example than Justin Gaethje, to me, it looked like Gaethje was not as comfortable in the submission grappler, and was vulnerable on his back. So against Oliveira, hey, that's a problem, my guy. <laughs> you're, you're facing a guy that has more submission victories than anybody else in UFC history. So, yeah, kind of a problem. I, I honestly believe that if Oliveira takes down Gaethje and takes his back at any point, that fight is over. Oliveira seems extremely likely to win this fight by submission. But to get there, it's not 100% guaranteed that Oliveira can take him down in the first place, right? Maybe Gaethje can scramble up once or twice. Maybe he can inflict enough damage in the interim to win the fight. He throws devastating leg kicks, and which may impact Oliveira. Gaethje damaging Oliveira is a very realistic outcome, and I do think he's a really good live underdog in this fight. But overall, I have to lean moderately towards Oliveira. His defensive numbers are so solid. He doesn't absorb strikes at a high rate. Gaethje absorbs 7.81 significant strikes per minute, which is an insane ratio with a guy with nearly 10 fights. That just shows like we were talking about going to war. Like, every fight is like this for him. You know, I I think Oliveira can stay safe for a while on the feet, and even though I do expect he'll need to grapple to win easily, I still think he can spar a little bit to keep that distance so that Gaethje's not just like blood in the water every time they're on their feet. And I do think grappling success comes sooner or later for Charles Oliveira. He's shown he doesn't need pure takedowns to win. He can take a back standing. He can roll from a bottom position to look into a sweep. He is levels ahead Gaethje as a submission grappler, and that most likely outcome is where we can have access early in exchanges and to finish the fight. Like I said earlier, we got Oliveira as a favorite as the time of taping at minus 175. I am capped as a heavier favorite than this in my mind, and I think there's a slight amount of value in betting Oliveira straight up. But the way that we're going to be doing it is I'm going to be betting Oliveira to win inside the distance at plus 110 and via submission at plus 140. If Gaethje wins, I expect it to come via TKO, which that line is propped up at plus 200 or way better. So... If you're going to be fading me, which I totally understand because I lose money all the time, I'd be doing that. But instead, Olivera inside the distance plus 110 and via submission at plus 140 are the bets that we're going to be throwing out there. But wait, there's more. There's going to be a second title fight at UFC 274, and it's Rose Namajunas versus Carla Esparza in a fight that, you know, no one's going to be talking about. I don't know. I feel like real MMA people are going to be talking about, but the average person is not going to be talking about. Rose and Zagui people are like, oh yeah, no, that's, that's pretty good. Rose versus, you know, Joanna, oh, that's pretty good. But Carlos Esparza is real tough and has beaten Rose before. The pair squared off in 2014 when the strawweight division was first introduced to the UFC, and Noma Junis and Esparza were the finalists from that season of The Ultimate Fighter. Esparza was able to land five takedowns in that fight, beat up Noma Junis, and take position, take her back, and secure a rear naked choke in the third round. Since that time, Noma Junis has gone on to become one of the best female fighters in the history of the UFC, honestly. She's defeated Joanna, uh, Wally Zhang twice, and among other impressive victories. Esparza has also climbed her way into title contention, which I honestly don't think a lot of people saw coming. She has won five consecutive fights. And the bottom line is that Esparza is still among one of the best pure wrestlers in the division. And unless you can stuff her takedowns, you're not going to have much success. Rose is going to have advantages over Esparza while the fight plays out on the feet. And in fact, Noma Junis will likely win the stand-up fight convincingly. She lands strikes at a higher volume of Esparza at 4.01 per minute compared to 2.34. Noma Junis is a legitimate kicking game. Ask people's heads. Honestly, there's a lot of feet to heads in Rose fights and is simply just a more effective striker all across the board, whereas boxing for Esparza is a means to an end. I think the public will just look at the first fight between Noma Junis and Esparza and say, oh, Noma Junis uh, has improved a ton. She was young and therefore the fight will look different. She has faced and beaten legitimate competitors like Joanna, like Zhang, and Esparza has not. My issue that the fight still comes down to is whether Rose can defend takedowns, scramble them up when she does, and that honestly, I don't think, I don't think we'd be confident in her ability to do those things. Noma Junis defending takedowns at a career one 51%. Rose is defending takedowns at a career rate of 51%, which I can't stress enough, is really bad. Really, really bad. In her last fight against Zhang, Noma Junis was taken down five times and controlled for a minute, and it's not like Zhang is a strong wrestler. She was able to land takedowns at 45% rate. She mounted Noma Junis. She took Noma Junis back. And it's impossible for me to watch that fight and think Esparza cannot duplicate Zhang's success if not build on it tremendously. Like, granted, Rose should have advantages basically everywhere else. Mm-hmm. You know? Esparza's path to victory is limited in that sense. It's not a guarantee that she wins every round. Esparza can only defend takedowns at 48%, and I think it's possible that Rose could earn a top position of her own at one time. Esparza tends to get bruised and bloody a lot, and just, let's be real about MMA judging, the optics may be in favor of Rose. If they are standing next to each other, and is all cut up and bruised, and somehow did more damage, people will give Rose the advantage for that. We are human. We look at the two of them afterwards and go, oh wow, that person must have won, even though that's sometimes a lie. For me, it's less of a case of where Esparza is guaranteed to win this fight, and more of a case of where this is a winnable matchup for her, and I think it's a very legitimate value compared to where the current betting line is. The most important aspect of the fight is being able to control where the fight takes place. And as much as I love Rose, her takedown defense and her scrambling is really weak. And against an opponent who has made a career out of landing takedowns and controlling opponents, including Rose herself, I think we should be giving more respect to Esparza this weekend. Esparza is the underdog right now at plus 185, and that to me just doesn't make any sense at all. I would favor Esparza outright in the matchup, albeit slightly. But that's more than enough value for me to take a stab at the underdog line we're going to go with Carlos Barza at plus 185 to beat Rose. Ooh, that's some spice. Where is the Panzerati Prince? That is some spice right now. And then we have the last of the big three fights here. We have Michael Chandler versus Tony Ferguson. So Ferguson won 15 out of 16 fights in a span dating from 2011 to 2019, which included intern title victories over Kevin Lee, wins against Rafael Desanos, Anthony Pettis, Edison Barbosa. He's always been a world winner of action. He's spamming strikes at a high rate with a dangerous submission grappling game, and that style has broken many opponents and yet he owes a large part of that success to cardio and durability alone. Years of wars have taken a toll on him, and injuries have plagued him inside and outside the octagon. He doesn't have the same form he used to be, and to be perfectly honest, he's not the same person he used to be. Ferguson has now lost three consecutive fights to Gaethje, Oliveira, and Benal Dariush. To be fair, now those are all elite opponents, but it shouldn't be a black mark on his resume, and yet he wasn't able to get his hand raised in any of them. On the other side, it should be worth noting That his style was never really suited easily to control and clearly winning rounds. He's a black belt jiu jitsu and he only averages 0.42 takedowns per minute and only defends them at 67%. The fact he's earned six mission victories in the UFC speaks to his skill set, but it's not a method of victory that's ever going to be sustainable against the best in the division when his wrestling is not very impactful. And that's kind of being nice. We've also started to see his infamous durability start to fade. He took a ton of damage in his five round fight against Gaethje in 2020, forcing a referee stoppage in round five. That was, like, let's be real, like a mercy kill. Like, I, I didn't know how many bones was left in his face because they were creating new ones by splitting other ones in two. Like, it was, it was real bad. And these factors do not give me a ton of confidence in his chances against Chandler, who is known for physicality, explosive punching power, and it's really strong wrestling. Chandler burst in the UFC with vicious knockout win over Dan Hooker in his debut, proving that his long-standing success in Bellator would translate as a better competition. He has since lost to Oliver and Gaethje also. I have to be honest, I'm still much lower on Chandler than the public. I, I, Bellator is fine, and I think there are certain divisions where it's pretty comparable to the UFC. I don't think that Chandler's you know, track record was really that strong, and I, I think that Dan Hooker victory did more for people's impressions than his history before that. I also don't typically invest into fighters who depend on early damage. I'm especially suspicious of fighters who slow down dramatically when they don't secure any of those early finishes. To his credit, Chandler has survived a full three rounds against Gaethje, and you can argue his cardio and durability looked better there. But he still showed me a lot of issues that I was worried about heading into the matchup, and the ones I will continue to worry about uh, against good opposition. The major problem with Chandler is that he's too explosive. He has a ton of knockout power, and he can't strike consistently for three rounds because using that power zaps him of energy. He's also a D1 wrestling background. He can land takedowns, but those use a lot of energy as well. It's turned into a fighter who typically has success early and fades late. Against competition who you can take down and lay on top of, he can still survive and win those decisions. Against opponents who push him, though, he starts to fade, and he gets hurt, and he's been finished on more than one occasion. Like, against Gaethje, that's a really good example. Chandler had a lot of success early on. The first round was super competitive. Chandler damaged Gaethje multiple times, but then he started to fade because he couldn't get the finish. He took a ton of damage and lost cleanly, and truthfully, he was lucky the ref didn't stop him. Honestly, round two on? Listen to these numbers, listen to these numbers. Chandler's defended strikes from Gaethje at 49% in round one, defended at 37% in round two, and in round three, Chandler only defended strikes at 18%. That's like a huge red flag, right? He stayed conscious, but his defense dropped horribly from round to round. And it's because of those styles that he fights with. He's still more capable of winning by an early knockout and landing takedowns here and there. But he's not a fighter I'll ever be confident with down the stretch. Chandler is a heavy favorite at minus 400, right? I'm not going to be touching that line. Not even in parlays. Honestly, the minus 400 scares the hell out of me. I think Chandler can knock Ferguson out early or lay on him to win a decision, but I don't see the value in that betting line. For what Ferguson lacks in form, he still has the cardio. He still lands 5.15 significant strikes per minute. I think it's possible that he can outstrike Chandler down the stretch if he survives round one. So this is why I'm going to be doing this. I'm going to be going the fight goes to decision. Doesn't matter who wins. The fight just goes to decision at plus 150. Just super interesting fight though. You know, I don't know what's gonna happen, but it's a super interesting fight. Fight goes the distance at plus 150, feels like I can cover my bases and still get good number at it. Now, the the only other fight that we're gonna talk about here is kind of the old timer fight. Uh it's kind of the the tribute fight because Mauricio, Shogun Hua, is facing off against Ovince Pru. Uh Shogun, remember him? Well, he's fighting this Saturday. Uh, why don't you know that he's been still fighting? Well, he's winless in three of the past five outings, so. Uh, He had a TKO loss to Paul Craig at UFC 255. That's partially why you'll be surprised he's still fighting because he hasn't fought in over two years. However, he has avoided consecutive defeats since suffering a first-round KO loss to, yes, OSP, the guy he's facing on Saturday, in their first meeting eight years ago. Oh, my God. Here's the thing. OSP has produced mixed results as well. So this is why they're fighting. He's only won three of his last nine outings. Like, honestly, this is a fight where they're trying to look to salvage one of their careers. Use them as still like viable bait because somebody's going to be coming off a win and they can hopefully go like, yes, this guy, and they're going to put him on a fight night against some young guy that will just chop them up. OSP has been finished five of the past six defeats. He's also coming off his longest layoff since joining the UFC in 2003 with his last trip in the Octagon coming 11 months ago. I don't fully understand OSP being such a big favorite in this fight because right now he's a minus 240 to Shogun's plus 190. So for old time's sake and for, you know, nostalgia, I'm going to be taking Shogun plus 190 and inside the distance at plus 430. Huh? Yeah? Sounds pretty good? I, I don't know what I'm doing here. You could take a dart to a, <laughs> you could take a dart to a dartboard Or, you know, like one of those ones where, like, they train an octopus to, you know, go into one of the two boxes, and one of the two boxes has one of the fighter's heads on it. Or a, a puppy could go to one of the bowls that has one of the fighters on it. That honestly might be as solid a strategy as me picking this fight. But for, for nostalgia's sake, let's go with Shogun. Come on. Doesn't that feel good? Isn't there stupider ways to lose money? Oh, like the NFL draft, which, speaking of, let's get to the recap and record check. Recap. Okay, here are the fights we're gonna be taking Oliveira to win inside the distance at plus 110 and via submission at plus 140. We're gonna take Carlos Barza at plus 185, and we're gonna have Chandler Ferguson that goes the distance at plus 150. And then for old time's sake, we're gonna take Shogun at plus 190 and inside the distance at plus 430. Record check. Okay, last week on episode 115, we had the Pants Ray Prince on to talk about the NFL draft. Oh, one of our favorite things. And you know what? It turned out to be a profitable thing for one of us. Pants of Prince went 0-3, so don't worry about that. I don't need to uh, recap his record. But uh, I went 6-4. So, hello. What's up? I, we made two units on 6-4, but who the hell cares? Sauce Gardner going top 5 at minus 125 is a win. Over 2.5 QBs taken. Whoo, what a loss. 2.5 QBs taken the whole weekend? Like, oh my god, that was supposed to be just the first round the The slide for some of these quarterbacks was incredible to watch. So Desmond Ritter taken in the first round was a no. Jamison Williams under 14 and a half, that was a big win. That was great. And total first round wide receivers over six and a half, that was a win as well. We had Kevin Thibodeau under five and a half at minus 115, and Kyle Hamilton over nine and a half, that was a win as well. Then I lost a couple with the Philadelphia Eagles not taking a wide receiver in the first round because they traded for AJ Brown. How was I supposed to see that coming? And the Chicago Bears taking a wide receiver in the first, no. But the Buffalo Bills did take a defensive back in the first round at plus 175, so that was a win, and that's six and four for two units. Oh, I love it! Now over at Losing Money WAB, that's our free daily picks on Twitter on Instagram. This week we went 16 and seven. Holy shit, we went 16 and seven. Oh my god! Someone double check that math. Wow, 16 and seven—that's 6.5 units up for just this week. Oh my god, that was great, man! Make it free daily picks on the playoffs right now. The NHL playoffs, the NBA playoffs, has been great. That being said. I can't wait to lose money on UFC 274. Please subscribe to Losing Money with Andrew Bascom wherever you enjoy podcasts. And please give a subscribe and a like to at on Twitter, on Instagram, wherever you decide to waste your time. We'll be back next Friday to lose even more money. Have fun losing money. We'll see you later, losers. He's the one that will help you bet. Then for the game, you'll be all set. Even though he may help you choose, remember you still may lose by Sad Styles Productions. Get into it!